This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast, where we did think we were over the hill and far away, but it turns out that Joel Rabinovitz still works Liverpool games in which they lose habitually. <laughs> Dan Morgan, Joel and Ollie Connolly for this one. Um, gents, a little bit to get through. Bit of a mad week, really. Liverpool signed two players. Um, Liverpool got two wins in London. And then last week has just completely crippled the mood um, and the momentum going into Manchester City. However, we will try and give you some varied insight into what we believe is currently going on and what our thoughts are being projected on Liverpool.com right now um, in, in spoken form, rather. So, yeah, I, I dig into Brighton and some of the post-mortem around that then. Um, Ollie, you've written something today that's out now. It's it's a lack of ideas at every point, really. It's it's one in which, as well, I think the manager has to take. Uh, I think he's, he's been very noble in his endeavours where he's been taking things for the team that have, have been on the team. But I think that that last night is after after the turnarounds of West Ham, after he comes out post game and starts talking about fatigue, mental and physical. Um, I think there's no other place to look really than himself after that one. Yeah, it's important to note that Brighton was different than the other games that have been sloppy recently. This one to me was almost all coaching staff and tactically based, more so than even. West Ham, Newcastle, West Brom. In those games, they did create some chances, and you cannot legislate as Jurgen Klopp, Divock Origi running through on goal and smashing the ball against the bar. You know, your, your job is to get players into the final third with options. That is the job of a coaching staff. Get them there with options. And last night, they had no options. The game plan was brutal. Um, Graham Potter essentially outcoached them, and there was not even a recognition 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, 25 minutes in to try and change anything. And then even into the second half, you've mentioned on our morning call today that that opening five, 10 minute spell where you expect a real burst of just something, even something different, or at least bringing some energy to the proceedings because there was no urgency last night, that you would expect something different in that first 10 minutes. There was nothing, and again, he waits on the substitutes. It's, it's waiting, it's let's give it five more minutes. And just that that kind of mentality has been there all season long. Let's just give it five more minutes, give it six more minutes. Let's wait seven, eight minutes. And it's all of a sudden, you're looking at your watch and it's 15 minutes to go. They're one nil down and suddenly let's send Divock on and hope for the best. It's just not good enough. And that I, I, They got completely out-schemed technically by Graham Potter's staff in a way that they have not had their pants pulled down like that. I, I can't even think of the last time that happened where it was just chess pieces on a board and they found no answers. They, they were... They weren't ready for it from the kickoff and they found no answers on the fly, which is their whole thing. Let's give it 15 minutes, settle into the game, and then we can tweak things from there. And they found no answers on it. I think that's what's really frustrating for me, Joel, is that at each point in which you expect Liverpool to turn a little bit of a screw, they don't. And, you know, we talked about what made them great last year. It was that that sort of 10 before half-time, the five after the break, the, the, the fast start. You know, Liverpool don't, ever go through the gears last night and if anything I mean you, you said on, on the call this morning that the minute Brighton scored you started writing your post-match piece well that's indicative in many senses of of what we're coming to expect now and that's it's not crying it in it's it's a reality that Liverpool aren't able to turn the screw especially at Anfield Yeah this morning kind of just thinking back to the match I kind of presumed in my head that Brighton had scored sometime around the 70th 75th minute and it was a late winner it was in the 56th, 
Liverpool had so much time to do something about that game. And I think what you referenced there is exactly right. So much in the past, last season and the season before that, there's plenty of first halves of games where Liverpool have been, if not poor, then lacking in ideas or or spark in the final third, but they've been feeling their way into games, working the opposition side to side, searching for openings, and then they get into halftime. They do their video analysis. They figure out where the spaces are, what they're doing wrong, and they come out in the second half and they get it right. And just before we came on here, Guy, our producer, mentioned the game last season, which was a really good example. The Southampton 4-0 at Anfield, where Liverpool were terrible, really, in the first half, could easily have gone in one or two nil down, conceded a few chances, sloppy in possession, shape wasn't good, they weren't creating much up the other end. They get in at half-time, they figure things out, and they come out, Oxlade-Chamberlain scores, I think, within five minutes of the restart, and they just romp their way to a 4-0 win. And there are numerous other examples last season where similar things happened. Liverpool took sort of 45 minutes just to kind of yeah, feel their way into a game, really. Um, and I think it is worth noting as well, in reference to last night, it was quite a similar first half to the West Ham game in many ways. Uh, mm. Liverpool didn't create any meaningful chances, really, in the first half against West Ham. There was a one where Thiago sort of threads in Origi, but it's it's not really a proper shooting opportunity. And other than that, they were pretty blunt, even if they were in control. But what they had against West Ham they didn't have at all against Brighton was they had a gear change um, and it came through the Curtis Jones substitution, really. He comes on within 30 seconds or so. He's driving through the midfield. Spaces are opening up. The passing's crisper. It's more precise. And there's an urgency there, um, which just didn't come at any point last night. And I think that that's the most concerning thing because uh, as much as Ollie's correct that the Brighton game plan was slightly different to the other teams Liverpool played, there's still some common themes from all these games um, and Liverpool have had so long now, both in matches and in, in training, to figure out a different way of playing to cause different problems. And I know the injuries are a valid factor. They don't have the changes off the bench that they would normally have. No Mane, no Jota, no Cater, players like that. But still, the guys who are on the pitch should be capable of doing more than what they did yesterday. A double-ended a double question, Ollie. First being what this team is now in it for for the rest of the season um, it is I am I am an advocate of Jurgen Klopp's philosophy of not looking at the table until sort of later on in the season but it is getting to that time now where you are starting to have a glance um, if you may anyway you might be a person who's habitually looking at it every day <laughs> in detail I'm not um, but what just what is this Liverpool team fighting for and secondly I mean there's, there's the game on the horizon Sunday I, I actually think, and I'll, I'll stand by this, I think it's a perfect game for Liverpool uh, to have at Anfield. Even if they get beat, they will be beaten in a fight. Um, and that's no disrespect to Brighton. But I can't see a sort of 18-19 sterile Man City turning up, and I might be proven wrong on that. Um, but, you know, what what is a Man City in that sense in terms of Liverpool's season that's left? Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, we've all spoken before about this side becoming kind of a moments team. You get these big games and all of a sudden there's the old Liverpool. So it would not stun you to see them turn up and win 2-0. <laughs> and then all of us look at each other like, how could they not have just pasted the bottom six and we'd have a real race on here? Um, I'm quite confident that once they get Jota back, if Allison can can stay healthy for most of the season, as you bet in Kabak and Davis, that you finish second by, you know, three, four points. I still think that's that's perfectly doable. The thing for me is just I cannot see any way City slow down now. 
And I think any chance of the title is gone. And it's what is that gap? And can you finish second? And is it kind of there's progress throughout the second half of the season where you either find some new tactical wrinkle or it all just clicks with the group you have. And it was just a case of once you got Thiago settled and Jota was back, that was all you needed. And that then you can build and go again for the next season. I do think that City's season last year is really instructive in so much as if you remember back when they got beat by Leon and it was kind of the world is tumbling down and and they're going to press the Messi button, they're going to go and sign Koulibaly for 80 million quid, will Pep leave for Juventus? They just kind of settled down. They doubled down their model. They signed second-tier European players, basically, which is what they've done throughout. They let those guys become megastars at City rather than going and signing Koulibaly or going and signing Lautaro from Inter Milan, like mega big-name players. And they, they adjusted their playing model a little bit and then they're back again and they let guys like John Stones come back into form, Bernardo Silva, and they just kind of took a gap year. I think it's just really hard now to go three years in this league at this level. I think it's just mentally exhausting. When he talks about mental fatigue, I think there's a little bit of a cop-out mid-season because they've had prolonged periods without playing more so than even City have had and more so than United have had too. They've had more breaks than most of the teams around them. I think it's he's talking about the three-year run, the four-year run, the five-year run. I think teams at, at the top level in Premier League having kind of a gap year where it's like just slow down for a season, settle down, that might, that might just become the norm. I mean, they tried to offset it in fairness with Jota and Thiago, right? That was kind of, let's evolve a little bit mid-season, let's bring some new life into it. But I don't, I can foresee a situation where like City last year, they lose seven, eight games and they finish second you know, adrift from first and then they really double down and just go again and it looks like a different team next season with the same lads. I think to do that, Joel, you have to finish as high as you can even if you're not going to win the thing and I think it's imperative Liverpool finishing the Champions League with everything that's around, the current structure around football and the economic situation. So it's it's vital regardless of whether or not the title's out the, out the equation that Liverpool start picking up points and scrapping for points, they need to start fighting. And I think the other thing I'd mention about Sunday is I, I don't think it'll do Liverpool any harm to carry a bit of an underdog status going into it. I think to, to sort of let them backs be against the wall a little bit, like they were against Tottenham and West Ham, is something that brings the best out of them in a situation where it's a it's a plucky and savvy Brighton side coming to Anfield, not expecting to get anything, not tipped to get anything. I think that's got Liverpool on a bit of a hands and not in that sort of game at the minute. Yeah, I, w- I was more nervous going into the Bryson game than I was for either the Tottenham or the West Ham ones, purely because of that, the expectation that it's it's a home game against a team Liverpool should be expected to beat. Um, and those are the games this season, at least, that they've just not been picking up the points. And I think it's is it one win against the bottom six teams or something like that so far, mm. which is just it's night and day from the last couple of seasons where they've basically not dropped a point against the teams outside the top six, really. Um, so I see what you're saying about City um, being a good game for Liverpool stylistically. That said, watching them recently, um, they just don't concede chances. Um, there's 11 clean sheets in the last 13 league games whilst conceding twice City. And it's that's not any fluke. If you actually watch them, the amount of shots on target they concede is, is almost none in any game they're playing at the moment. And Oli mentions players there like John Stones, Bernardo Silva, who basically contributed very little to last season, have really come back into form this season. But there's others as well. Um, Cancelo, one who I've been watching recently, I think he's he's fantastic. He's had so much creativity to them at right back compared to what Kyle Walker does. Um, 
weirdly, I almost find them more of a threat without De Bruyne, which feels like a mad thing to say because he's he's arguably the best player in the league. But I feel like as a cohesive unit, um, that's something seems to work quite well when he's not there. Um, players like Gundogan recently, such a threat going forward as well. Um, so it's going to be a difficult one. I am slightly less certain about finishing second than you guys. I think I'm starting to get a little bit nervous about the top four thing, purely because of how many teams there are in contention. Uh, I did actually have a look at the table this morning, which I've been trying not to do so much recently. And Aston Villa, if they win their two games in hand, who are currently ninth, will be two points behind Liverpool. That's how kind of quickly these things can drop. If they go on and have a run like they've had in the last month, suddenly you get sucked down and you're thinking about, are you going to even make Europa League spots? And I know that sounds overdramatic at this point, and we know Liverpool can go on a streak at some point, but it needs to change is the point. And you look at the upcoming fixtures now, the next three are on paper really tough games. City, uh, and they've got Leicester and Everton, uh, all of the next three. I'd almost be more confident in them taking more points from that than the three that come after. Um, <laughs> if you look at the three that come after that, it's Sheffield United, Fulham and Wolves. And if you ask me right now, am I confident that Liverpool <laughs> winning more than one of them? I- I'm not. And that's that's the kind of problem they've they've got to overcome. What's so um what's so frustrating just watching them? We we referenced this morning that we were speaking about it where I almost had a really old school Graham Sooness take of like, where's the fight? Why aren't they shouting at each other? Why don't they seem angry and upset that they're not very good? But it really is the joy. It's less the anger and the joy. They've never they're, they're modern players and, and this team has never really been an angry team they've always <laughs> played with joy and it smiles and all that stuff they just are not having fun where is the fun is they're not just a way of saying let's just go 44 lads let's have a, go have a great time it's, there's got to be a way to reignite some level of joy in the team it's not that they're not having fun That's I picked up on that last night it's it's, and it, it's becoming an Anfield thing which is the problem you know the, the place that was the, the, the fortress the place that was the the place where you went to have fun and, and be expressive and, and just create this absolute wall of of victory is is becoming the complete opposite. It's a real worry. Um I want to play Captain Hindsight for a minute. So I want to put a question to both of you because we can start looking at the broader picture now. And that question would be if you could go back and change something, one thing from the summer, what would it be? And I'll answer this too, but I want to open it to you two first. So, Wally, you tell me what yours is. Well, I'm going to steal one from our comment section here, which is where I originally thought of like doing some hindsight type stuff. Someone left a, a point in our comment section about if you had just tried to bed in Nat Phillips and Reese Williams early on and you had just accepted the look, Joel Matib is unreliable, fabulous player, one of sincerely one of the six best defenders in Europe, I think, all around skill set when he's at his absolute best. But understanding that he's going to miss one game here, two games there, never thinking, you know, ideally that he'd get a, a ligament injury this bad where he'll be ruled out for the whole season. But you just know he's going to miss a ton of games. Just force Nat Phillips and Reece Williams to play more games. Figure out which one of them is more competent, which one you can maybe work around a little bit. And it would allow you to have a clean run knowing putting Jordan Henderson into midfield, even when Fabinho's back there or you, you get another knock, that, that that you would just shuffle more of the focus into Nat Phillips, play yourself through some issues, figure this out. And I think that that is a, is a real point because Matip was always going to go down at different spots. And by moving Henderson out midfield, you saw last night, their mo- most of their creativity came from rolling the ball back to Henderson and him whipping the ball over the top or him driving out from the back he tried to play through Firmino 
30-yard pass along the floor, and that was when he was at his best stepping forward. Losing him in the middle of midfield has been such a blow that there's a way of saying, like, we just got to live through all the pain of whatever comes at centre-back. I mean, we talked at the time, I remember us saying on the podcast of how would you try and get around the defensive crisis, and I said at the time, just put your best players in their best positions. Do not compromise that and figure the rest out. And if it's Nat Phillips having a nightmare at the back for one game, you hold your hands up and say, that is what it is. We've got to go and recruit someone in January. But by shuffling the pieces around, I think it's compromised more than, than they'd hoped for. Oh. I would say not replacing Lovren uh, in the summer. Um I think selling Lovren, I wasn't, I didn't have a problem with because, again, people have said, oh, we should have kept him for this season. It's quite probable he could have been injured as well. Uh, something that we kind of easily forget looking back that he was just as unavailable um, as a lot of Liverpool's kind of injury prone players, really. Um, but I think going into the season, we've spoken recently about Joel Matip, like Ollie said there, you almost have to not categorize him as a proper squad option going into the season. So people said, Oh, we're going into the season with three senior centre backs. We've got Van Dyke, Gomez, and Massip. We didn't really. We had two plus Fabinho um, as an emergency option. So I think that was a a bit of an oversight. And it's not. I know the the purpose of his game is captain hindsight, but I think you could have said at the time it was a big risk not to kind of do anything with, about replacing Lovren then. Um, and that's one where you wonder if, say, they'd gone for Kabak, who was linked strongly in the summer. It's clearly a player they had long-standing interest in. If they brought him in then, and I know the money was potentially more of an issue then, but if they could have done something like a season-long loan, um, like they've done now for half a season with an option to buy at the end of a season, then they could have at least bedded him in now um, and he wouldn't be coming into a huge pressure situation where he's realistically now going to play quite a lot more games than he probably ever would have thought joining a club of Liverpool stature. If you had Kabak from the start of a season as Liverpool's third or fourth choice, you give him five or six months um, just to learn the system no particular spotlight on his name, um, then I think you could never have foreseen the injury crisis, obviously. Um, losing all three senior centre-backs and the cover midfield guy at the same time is <laughs> it's just something you can't plan for. But I think you could have planned for the fact that they lost a the centre-back but didn't replace him. And one of the ones, i.e. Matip, who they did go into the season with, was always likely to break down at some point. So for me, looking back, that's a kind of area where in the summer transfer window, I think they did leave themselves quite light unnecessarily. So, Would you have done a centre-back, a full centre-back over adding either Thiago or Jota? Would I have taken it? Yeah, would you have done that? If that's... Not, over, not over Jota. Okay. Maybe over Thiago? <laughs> it's difficult because Thiago is Thiago uh, and we've barely seen the best of him at all so far. That, that's... But, Budget-wise, what the, the proposition Mike Edwards was faced with, and they just took the gamble. I mean, that, that if we're going full hindsight, they must have been sat there with the whiteboard. Can we do Kabak now? Like you said, Joel, they've been after Kabak basically for 18 months. He's been linked forever. What I would have said in hindsight, and again, this is, this is slightly contradictory to myself because I was praising the deal at the time, I would definitely have signed a centre-back as more of a priority than Simicast, a left-back, um, because I mean, there are ways you could have got around that. If you wanted to rest Robertson, you could just play Milner there for a game or shift Trent across even. There's other midfielders in the squad who you wouldn't mind. Oxlade-Chamberlain, maybe even Henderson. Wouldn't be ideal, but you could at least get through a game or so with them just to give Robertson a rest. I think that 11 million Simicast, if I could change it now, I would rather have bought a fourth-choice centre-back. But again, that's partly because we've not even been able to use Simicast because he's also been injured like everyone else. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
my answer would actually be I wouldn't actually change anything. Um, and I think you both make valid points, very valid points, but I I just think that the amount of nearly swore then bad luck we've had handed to us um, over this season, the course of the season, no one could plan for. And I think, all being said, yeah, I think last night was one they have to take on the chin. But you even have to put things like the schedule into this, into how condensed it is, into the fact that there's no turnaround um, and the games just keep coming and coming. That That's inevitably going to happen. And I just think this season, probably since last March, even I'd go as far back as to say since since COVID became the pandemic, it has, um, has basically worked against Liverpool unlike any other club. Um, I think it's I think it's fair to say that Liverpool in world football have suffered the most, and I'm not talking about financially or anything. I just mean in terms of everything it was built on, um, everything that it stood for to to make it tick has been in many ways decimated by this whole thing. And yeah, there's more important things going on, and I and I appreciate that. But at the same time. Um, if we are looking at this from a purely objective football point of view, I don't see how anyone from Liverpool Football Club could have done anything more, really, considering um, what they what they were what they were handed, what they were dealt. They knew that they knew the situation going into the season, but also no one could have foreseen the injuries that we had. Um, so. I would guess if you were to ask Klopp and his staff, kind of back in August September time, they would probably say they had built as close to the perfect squad as you're ever going to get pretty yeah. much in football. And I think one of the things about being a supporter and looking in from the outside is that you're never, ever going to be completely happy with a the squad. There's always going to be one position where you think they could strengthen. Even if we had added the Lovren replacement and got the extra centre-back in the summer, I'm sure some of us would have been saying, oh, they need a little bit more depth in the front three, more variety, more cover for Mane on the left-hand side. They signed Jota, but then we could have signed more cover for Firmino who's better than Origi or better than Minamino. There's always going to be a weak spot. And I think, as much as I say, in hindsight, I would have liked that centre-back. I think in terms of the actual squad, if you wrote it down on paper back in when we're going into that Leeds game or before, even before then in pre-season, the signings they'd made, I think it was as close to spot-on as, as you could have said in world football. There was probably Liverpool and Bayern Munich had the most complete squads there were and like even even Bayern plucking around trying to find thirty year olds on free deals because they yeah. felt their squad was weak. So at, they, at they had by far, they had by far the best. If you just go too deep at every position, talent to budget. It, that I mean, Chelsea's wasn't cohesive. They might have the best like just squad in terms of name and talent. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no one else had anything quite like what they built. I mean, it just got decimated by injuries and COVID and and all of it. And at that time. time we were having conversations as well about how they had too many midfielders. They had a surplus of options. There was eight or nine senior midfielders battling for three places. And look how that's turned out this season. We've been scratching around. Curtis Jones has had to play about 15, 20 games because there's been nobody else. And he's done brilliantly when asked to step up. But those are the conversations we were having only a few months ago. So, yeah. I'd agree as well. You know, look at, look at this Liverpool side at the start of the season. And you've got You've got a side who've basically won the European Cup and the Premier League in two seasons in a squad there. And you've just added Thiago Alcantara, 
and you've got this you've got this guy from Wolves who the whole league has slept on for for two years and I think you're right I think you know you even go back to that sort of line up against Everton at Goodison and barring Allison in goal you're looking at it going we've completed this this is this is football done like we, we will uh, wipe the floor with it the thing you can point to I think because I, I agree on they've been hit more than anyone I think the schedule thing is a bit tough because other teams have had more difficult schedules everyone has been hit by the schedule sure. Brighton looked really sprightly last night they've played just <clears> as many games in such a condensed amount of time the, the crowd I, I take the point on the crowd there's no football club on earth right now because Dortmund's not flying the way they would normally fly that has the same fan manager team connection that, that almost acts as one unit when they're at home which is how you rip off 68 games at home the way they did um I think where they may have missed a trick, if we were really nitpicking, which is what the point of the exercise is, is maybe moving out the, the second tier and just saying, just for the sake of freshening things up, Shaq and Origi have to go. We'll just bite the bullet on taking the financial hit. We don't know what the market's going to look like in a year anyway. What will that do to their reputations? Well, could you sell Origi for 30 million quid now anyway? In the summer, perhaps not. Maybe just mm-hmm. shaking for shakes up sakes at that level where you then get in a new batch of hungry, haven't done anything. Like you said, when you're being up to one Premier League titles, bring in a, a group of lads who have not done that stuff to maybe push and maybe bring some of the energy around the training ground on a day-to-day basis that you need. I think so much of it just has to be in the, in the training. Klopp's t- spoken about it a bunch, how they just haven't had time to work all season. It's been tactical stuff, it's been whiteboard stuff, and it's been basically recovery that they haven't felt with guys coming in and out of the team that they've been able to do any kind of traditional work that they would normally like to do. So what you're saying, Ollie, is I've copped out of the answer. <laughs> yes. I have to be fair Um, well okay look let's let's look a little bit further then because there's an evolution and a transition with this side that is is majorly on the horizon here when does that now start or has it started what do you think I I would go down with the ship I understand like you were saying before we are talking to Guy before we came on air about at what point do you get to, particularly with the front three, where you look at the ages, you look at the contracts you're going to have to sign in two years for Allison wants a new deal, they're talking to him. You've got to do the Van Dyke deal. You don't know what play you're getting back with Van Dyke. Hopefully it's the same Van Dyke. Who knows? Do you sign that deal before and afterwards? Will he sign it afterwards? You know, you're running down the clock to 2023 then and giving them all the leverage. You've got Salah, you've got Marnie, you've got Firmino, and they're all on the same age. And when do you start kind of shifting out of that age profile into this Kabak age group, which is 2021, 20, 22, 23, which is where you get the, the up Meccano interest. I, I would trust these guys to go again. So like I said earlier, have the gap here like City had and to come back just venomous, fire breathing, rip the league apart next season, go and try and win a, a European and league double. These guys are competitionaholics. These guys are way too competitive to just roll over for the rest of the season, roll over for the rest of the Liverpool time. I understand they operate in a different marketplace to Barcelona and Real Madrid, Man City, who can just roll contracts out till, you know, 31, 32, 33 and not be bothered about the resale value. But I think there's, there's such a bigger picture thing here with, in terms of the ownership, how FSG is going to bring their money back in, which I don't think is through player transfers. I think it's selling of parts of the club as opposed to having to sell Mohamed Salah to, to fund new signings. 
I think you look at this group and you say, we roll with these guys until they're 32. We roll through their whole peak years and we try and rip out as many trophies as possible and we'll make the money up on the back end and we'll make it up in sponsorship deals and we'll make it up in TV revenue and we'll make it up in the Super League and we'll make it up in selling parts of the club Then we have to move Mohamed Salah out for 120 million to then gamble on watch signing Jaden Sancho and hoping it clicks. I, I just would roll with this group till the very end. Joel? I think that process of transition has already begun, really, um, almost without us noticing it in some aspects. I think definitely at both ends of the pitch, um, it, the Kabak signing being one, he's 20. We don't know if we're going to have him next season, but if all goes well, he's one who definitely kind of lowers the age profile. Jota's only 24, again, is going to play a more prominent role over the next few years moving forwards. Um, I think it's also possible, given how well he's done at Blackburn this season, he's been one of the best players in the Championship by all accounts, that Elliot plays a role kind of not dissimilar to how we've seen with Shakiri Origi this season, where he's kind of one of the first subs off the bench and is playing kind of a substantial amount of league games. And if he comes back and carries on the way he's been performing there. Mm. Um, and again, he's, he's what he's 17, 18. So that's, mm. that's part of our whole transition process. I think at the back and up front, I think I, I agree with Ollie. I don't think there's any need to do any major overhaul, selling players, bringing new ones in. Um, some incremental investment would be good. Um, one or two players here and there. I think the midfield is where you, there is probably the most scope for churn um, in terms of personnel because there's three individuals there you look at straight away where there's a massive question mark over. Um, Wijnaldum, who we probably won't have, it looks like, going into next season unless something happens with a contract, which looks increasingly unlikely. Um, Milner, 35 now. He'll be 36 by next January. His role is going to increasingly diminish in terms of at least playing time, he'd still be an important part of a dressing room. Um, and there's a, definitely a conversation about Cater because we're going into his fourth season as a Liverpool player come the summer. Um, I think Liverpool need to kind of weigh up whether that's something they want to countenance or whether they just cut their losses and accept that talented player just didn't work out because of the injuries and need someone who can actually play 30, 40 games a season. So if you're losing those three, um, that's, that's already... Okay, at least one, probably two transfers that you need to do there. And I think that's where you will see more players in that sort of 22 to 26 age bracket um, that Liverpool need to target who are on that brink of making a next step. Basically, finding the Jota in midfield, I think, is probably where I'd look to target as as part of that transition. OK, uh, Joel, you've, you've, well, you, you've started a piece on, on Liverpool.com for later on um, about four things that would fix um, five five? Ah, five. <laughs> yeah. five things that would fix things at Liverpool right now so just tell us what they are yeah in, in the spirit of China not give up on everything and, and breathe some positivity into what remains of this season um, one of which I think is, is a really obvious one that we talk about almost every game at the moment but Jota um, it kind of got lost yesterday amid the kind of the misery of the Brighton game, but Liverpool did actually release some pictures and videos that show that he, he does still exist. He's still alive. He's out running, no knee strapping or anything like that. A clock was asked and was quite sort of non-committal saying that it's a couple of weeks roughly. Uh, but I think we can probably safely say by the end of a month, we can look at having Jota in and around the squad, um, which makes him probably an option for the second leg of a Leipzig game. Uh, of a likes of tie even uh, and I just think it, it might take him a while to reach the levels he was at before his injury but even just as an option off the bench it'll be massive to have someone like him back in and around the squad um, just give everyone a huge lift and it, I think we kind of forget he was on track for a 20-25 goal 
season really there before that knee injury. Um, so as much as it is a he, cliche, it is, it's like a new signing. He is the whole, almost symptomatic of what went wrong with the season. He was the guy who brought the joy that was missing. Yeah. He was the guy who hadn't yet been and achieved it. And he's looking around the dressing room going, that's Thiago Alcantara, that's Jordan Henderson, that's Mohamed Salah. I've got to raise my game to their level. Who brought some of that infectious streak to him that was enjoying being at the top for the first time in his career. That that has been so drained out of them post that Man City game since he's not been in the team. He also, Ali, though, he also made the nil-nils and one-ones, one-nils and two-ones. Yeah, you know, this, in away game being a prime example. Before West Ham and Sheffield United at home. The, yeah. the warning signs have been here all season, but Jota has been the player who's who's made those those frustrating draws, potentially. He made them three points and he, he gave Liverpool a momentum early season. So, you know, I don't think we should forget that role. Yeah, so that's one. Um, Champions League back again this month. Um, I think is massive. So much of this team and their entire journey together has been built on European performances. And I think one of the great things about Champions League football in general is that league form doesn't really matter. Um, it's its own competition two-legged ties, anything can happen. And this team has so much collective experience, not last season, but in the last few years of getting deep into that, that competition and negotiating those two-legged ties. And as much as they've got problems with injuries and the form in a league has been erratic, you would still back them on their day against almost any team, I think, over two legs, um, especially if they can get some players back like Jota over the next few weeks. And if they can, and it won't be easy because Leipzig are a great team with a great manager, but if they can get their way past that, you're then only four games away from a final or two games away from a semi-final, a chance to reach the final. And I just think that can, it's so important this season that they have things to look forward to. If, as it seems, the title is sort of slipping away, they need to have something to aim for come May and the longer they can sort of stay in that competition. It can it can carry on into the league as well, I think is what I would say with that. Um, and I'm excited for that to come back. There's nothing like when you get to that point of the year, even if you think your league campaign has gone where you start saying to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, do you want to play in the semi-final of the European Cup? you got to go out and perform these next two games. That That is so massive for them. My only concern with, with the Champions League is that so much of that journey, as you alluded to there, Joel, has been about the fans. They've almost done the European Cup for us and then they go and play, they go and do you know, their nine-to-five job as playing in the league. Um, I, I, that does concern me a little bit that the lack of energy won't be there because of the no fans. There's some talk of these two Leipzig games being played in London as well if the travel restrictions don't allow it, so that make it even weirder. Um, laughing, great record in Europe. Be laughing. Yeah. yeah a couple of other linked ones as well. Um, Kabak, I'm really excited by everything I've read. Suggests that Liverpool have had their eyes on him for a while, which we know they do their homework. The analytics team will have pinpointed him for a very good reason. Um and I think we, we need to be careful not to put too much pressure on him to suddenly come in and fix all the problems and, and be seamless straight away. But yeah, him at his age is a, just a really massive opportunity for him. And if he and or Davies, who Guy, who has obviously watched him more than us, our producer, says he's a really good player as well, um, who's ready for the step up from Championship to Premier League level, if at least one of them, possibly even both, slot in and adapt, as we hope, then that does also open up the option of moving at least one of Henderson or Fabinho back into the midfield, which we, we've been crying out for recently. Um, because so much, I think, of the last couple of months that has been an issue um, for all kinds of reasons, not least stylistically, but also because Klopp's had to play the same midfielders constantly. He's had to play the same fullbacks constantly because he doesn't want to change the entire back four. It's been because 
the centre-back issue has resulted in two positions being weakened, basically. Um, and I think you also see the best of Thiago if you get one of those guys back into midfield. Um, so I think those two things are linked. Kabak and Davies, if they can kind of slot in and, and adapt well, and also the knock-on effect for the midfield. Um, because if you look last couple of seasons, so many of Liverpool's best performances have been with a Henderson-Fabinho axis, and that has just been completely ripped away over the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Liverpool, one of Liverpool's lesser problems is actually defending in a yeah. in a formative sense. I think they've got a much bigger problem in, in sterile midfield passing, and this this notion that it's side to side, middle third attacking third, and teams are just going to sit in and, and absorb it. I think if there's there's a priority for Liverpool, and if if it's going to be a case that those are the the scenarios to play out for them for eighty percent of the the rest of the season's games, then I think taking a chance on two new signings at centre half, if they both stay fit, isn't the worst idea. Um, I think it's it'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to see what both of them are like in possession, because I, I think that's where I think that's where if we if we are trying to to envisage Liverpool getting better, creating more space, being more productive on a football pitch, I think they've got to start taking arguably more chances along the back line. They've got to start drawing teams onto them and then playing through the press. And it's really easy for 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 someone like Bernie to just say, well we're not gonna we're not going to engage there. But eventually you'd be able to to engage them at some level. And that's gotta that's got to maybe start with you're back four, and then perhaps if if you can get Fabinho Henderson back in that midfield, um, then it comes from them too. Because the thing you're missing with Fabinho is he he's got that lovely little sort of arched diagonal clip ball in him that he hasn't used at all at centre back, which is interesting. Mm. The numbers back it up. He's a lot of what he's it done has been on the, the floor. Well, yeah, it is strange, and I think yeah, I think it goes back to sort of the usage question around. Liverpool's midfielders, but I think there are times when I think there's probably 70% of Liverpool's home games left to play in the league where you could probably get away with not playing Ginny Wijnaldum if if you didn't want him, for example. A couple um, of things I would add on, on the Henderson-Fabinho back into midfield thing that, that massively helps. I think people talk about Liverpool lacking creativity in midfield. Creativity doesn't just have to come from someone playing a through ball or dribbling pass over to players. Part of why Liverpool have been so relentless attacking over the last couple of seasons with Fabinho and Henderson is because they can pin teams back and keep them trapped in their own final third because they just mop up the loose balls. They stop the counter-attacks. And now if you look at Liverpool's midfield now, is so lightweight. If you look at the average height of was Thiago, Wijnaldum, Milner, what about 5'9", or something like that, and they're all kind of quite small, diminutive guys. Um, and so teams can, can play through the pitch a lot quicker. Whereas if you've got a six-foot Henderson and a six-foot-two Fabinho, whatever he is, standing there, they just they stop that ability for teams to get out, um, which they used to be. Uh, and also, Liverpool don't have any threat really at the moment from set pieces. Attacking wise, um, it's been so obvious the amount of corners and free kicks um, they've had in promising situations where you just feel like they're slinging balls in for the sake of it, really. And opposition teams are quite happy just to sit there and head it away. Um, so if they can get Fabinho and Henderson further forward, and then get two proper centre backs who are six foot plus. Um, that should also help massively in that regard. Um, and there was one more. Go um, 
kind of linked to what we're talking about, but also just having a bit more variance in terms of systems. Um, because I think that the four-three-three thing has worked brilliantly. It's, it's the recipe upon which all Liverpool's success really has been built under Klopp. But I think there was an argument that there's been a lot of sort of square pegs and round holes, and that teams have had enough time now to to watch the video evidence how you set up against Liverpool in that system, in that shape. And I'm not saying that they kind of flick a switch and they change system and everything suddenly improves, but I do think it can just give the players something new to think about. You saw that the 4-4-2 diamond they use against West Ham away with Shakiri in the 10, Salah through the middle. I'd love to see what that looks like with Mane and Salah up front. Um, I think that'll be brilliant. And Jota, when he comes back as well, I think that shape has loads of possibilities. It's also about 4-2-4. I think everyone forgets they used away against Man City, madly enough, early in the season, where the first half, they could have been 2 or 3 no up, really. The amount of chances they created, or at least situations to create chances with that front four, um, and Henderson won Aldum as a midfield two. So I think just the more the more options Liverpool give themselves um, to be un- unpredictable and pose different questions to the opposition um, as well, moving forward, that can, can breathe some new life into things, I think. Okay, that's been this week's Liverpool.com podcast. Head over to our website where we've got plenty of content around not only what we've spoken about, but different features um, covering Liverpool Football Club and beyond. So head over there and enjoy it. Uh, But for now, that's been Liverpool.com weekly podcast. Thanks you to Ollie and to Joel and uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.